everyone. Welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi. It's so good to see you. I, I have seen you every day this week. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the gym. We saw a movie. We had trivia. Um, so we have nothing to talk about, which is not true. Um, we always have something to talk about. But uh, I don't know about like, you, but everyone I know is sick. Everyone is sick. How are you feeling? I'm doing just fine. Yeah. I, I mean, have I'm, the... The... What? Oh. <laughs> the immune system yes, of... Yes, the immune... <laughs> <laughs> the immune system of a hearty peasant woman. Yes, same. And when I get sick... what I mean, I rarely get sick, but when I get sick, I get sick. Yeah. I get that, like deep down gross i i've never felt health sick you know yeah we are so sick you're like i don't remember what it feels like to be healthy this is how i die the last time i was sick um it was when uh my good friend dane was working with me and he has four lovely children but they were giving him every type of illness possible and dane brought gave that to me yep at work as a nice present yeah i still haven't forgiven you for that dane he made everybody <laughs> sick so including my fiance when we went to Key West. And again, I have not forgiven you for that, Dane. So so you should just stop listening now. Yep, because you're not welcome here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Dane's a sweet kid. Anyway. And so, his wife is amazing. Oh my God, his wife is amazing. Hello, Kate. Yeah, we love Kate. Uh, <laughs> so because everyone I know is sick, um, I I was inspired by this. Mm. I was inspired by the flu, the oh. coughing, the Ooh, retching. Yes. Ooh, the, the, the retching. The retching. The the rumbling in your lungs that you get. Ooh, the rattle. Yeah, the rattle. The death Ugh. rattle. Um, so my topic today is going to be called Pandemic, the Great Plague of London. So um, I'm going to be making a lot of reference to a class I took in undergrad um, from one of my favorite professors of all time. His name was Dr. Walkling. He had curly red hair that he wore in a ponytail, and he had a merry face like a cherub, and he had a beautiful singing voice, and he would sing to us in class, and he taught us early modern London architecture, sound, and space. Now, most of the things you just said to me I think are also things you have told me you disapprove of mightily. Yes, right? <laughs> but it was a weird combination of him being so charming and so knowledgeable. And, and it every just so, kind of canceled it just everything canceled out. canceled each other out. And I was, so a, a ponytailed man pony- singing at you. Yes. But he also played the cello beautifully. Um, sometimes he would wear costume to class to talk about <laughs> early modern London. And every so often during a lecture, he would just pull out his ponytail and shake out his long mane of curly red hair. And then he would just tie it all up in a, in a knot without missing a beat. And I was absolutely enchanted by this man. I loved him. Every so often I think about it, I'm like, I wonder what Dr. Walkling's doing now. So I learned a lot about the great play. Dr. Walkling. (laughs) Walkling? Walkling. Like a duckling? Yes, but walk. I know. (laughs) If you're listening, he's a real person. Please get in touch with us. Oh my gosh. Lauren would love to reconnect I would be, honored um so i learned a lot about early modern london um and uh specifically about the great plague so a lot of what we're talking about today i learned way back when so let's just dive in let's Mm. just it's by the way just fyi it's gonna get gross it's gonna get gross up in this bitch right so here we go uh it lasted from 1665 to 1666 
the Great Plague it's not was very long at all. No, but let me tell you, <laughs> a lot of people died. Uh, the Great Plague was the last major epidemic of the bubonic plague to occur in England. Uh, it happened within the centuries-long time period of what was called the Second Pandemic, which was an extended period of intermittent bubonic plague epidemics, which began in Europe in 1347, which was the first year of the Black Death, <sighs> an outbreak which included other forms such as pneumonic plague and lasted until 1750. You got bubonic and pneumonic? Yeah, the pneumonic plague. Oh, man. Uh, it's a pneumonic device. No, it's uh, <laughs> like pneumonia. Yeah. Um, but the bubonic plague is different. And apparently the Black Death, uh, they think, was actually bubonic plague. Wow. Okay. Um, so um, just a quick thing about the second plague pandemic. Uh, it killed up to a half up to a half of the population of Eurasia. And um, although it eventually died out in most places, it became epizootic. <laughs> an epizootic, which mean, it means that it's an epidemic carried by animals. Mm. And um, it reoccurred regularly until actually the 19th century. Um, so after this new strain of the bacterium appeared uh, as the third pandemic, that happened in China in 1855. And ultimately more than 12 million people died in India and China with 10 million people killed in India alone. Oh, and this man. was the, the third pandemic. So, um, so a pandemic, just an FYI. So an epidemic is the rapid spread of infectious diseases to a large number of people mm -hmm. in a given population within a short period of time. Okay. It's usually two weeks or less, just very short. Ooh. A pandemic is an epidemic of infectious disease that has spread through human populations across a large region. For Yes. For instance, multiple continents or even worldwide, which is scary. So <clears throat> bubonic... Pan meaning world. Pan meeting world, exactly. Like panacea. Excellent. See, look at this. Just tossing around knowledge like crazy. Uh, the bubonic plague is one of three types of plague caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis. Mm, um, I, that's, that's a bad omen in there. <laughs> I know, right in that name. Right in there. Mm -hmm. Um, so one to seven days after exposure to the bacteria, flu-like symptoms develop. These include fever, headaches, and vomiting. Swollen and painful lymph nodes occur in the area closest to where the bacteria entered the skin. Occasionally, the swollen lymph nodes may break open. Wait, so this, so this one isn't just like cough, cough. Oh, I breathed in something. This is like a rat bit me. This is like, yeah, a, an infected rat or an <gasps> infected flea oh, bit me, and no. now I am sick. Yes. It was most often fleas. I mean, people got bit by rats yeah, all the time, okay. but it was a little bit more noticeable where you were like, oh my God, this, this rat bit me. <laughs> Son of a bitch. But a flea, that happened all the time. Like people Because everything was filthy. Everything was filthy. And everything smelled. I just oh, want to... <laughs> oh, let me tell you, I get into that oh. deep... Later, right. so get Sorry, ready. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just no, no, please. So yeah, so this isn't. This is not isn't like necessarily a, breathed in. This is a. This is a bite. It gets situation. Infect, it gets injected into your system. Kind yes, of. or or it also you can um so it it can enter through a flea bite, um but you can also get it from um handling dead animals Ugh. or dead bodies yeah, okay. so you can get it infected from the body flu bodily fluids as well yeah super gross <sighs> yeah so um the diagnosis of the bubonic plague is made by finding the bacteria in the blood sputum or fluid from lymph nodes and your sputum is your um saliva and uh mucus that you oh, cough up i didn't know it had a yeah it's word. called sputum so now when when 
when Josh is sick, you can be like, if you get your sputum on me, I'm going to lose it. I swear. I swear to God. Um, so quick thing about bubonic. It is derived from the Greek word bubos, which means groin. And <laughs> I wasn't expecting no, that. No, right? Well, you got all those lymph nodes in there. Oh, yeah. So a lot of times, because you would get bit on your lower body, right? <gasps> mm. Because that's where the ground is. Um, you're... <laughs> You would get like swollen groin lymph nodes. Oh. And sometimes they would bust open, get lymph all over the place. So. Oh. So. Um, Lauren's really good at making like hurling noises. <laughs> and, I, and I'm probably just going to go silent for a it's lot okay. of them. Okay. She's just <laughs> quietly vomiting into a bucket. Um, yeah. I hope you're not snacking not while you're listening metaphone. to this. <laughs> No. Yeah, this is, by the way, just FYI, if you are... Oh, if you get grossed out, you should probably stop listening. Yeah, We'll tell you when the quiz will start. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, skip ahead. Or if you're a hypochondriac, this is also not a great episode to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, okay, so the bubonic plague. Spoiler alert, the epidemic ultimately came from the bite of what was known as the Oriental Rat Flea. (gasps) which was carried by rats, which ran rampant through early modern London. So let's talk about why there were so many rats. Why were there so many rats, Lauren? So, okay, first of all, during the winter of 1664, a bright comet was to be seen in the sky and the people of London were fearful, wondering what evil event it (gasps) portended. So um, also a lot of things happened. So 1666, you know, 666, Mm. people were very superstitious about that. The The plague had happened. And then as it turns out, the great fire of London happened yeah. in 1666, which we'll touch on later. So they saw the comet. They were like, that's no good. And then they were like, Ooh, two years, 1666. That's no good. And then everything started going wrong. So, Oof. so, uh, let's talk about what London was like at the time. All right. Uh, it consisted of a city of about 448 acres, which was surrounded by a city wall, which had originally been built to keep out raiding bands of Romans or Visigoths or whomever. All right. I'm with you. So there were gates in the wall uh, at Ludgate, Newgate, Aldersgate, Cripplegate, Moorgate, and Bishopsgate. And to the south lay the River Thames and London Bridge. And on the other side of the River Thames was known as Southwark. And that was kind of where they put the theaters and the brothels and the bear baiting rings. The the what? Bear baiting rings. Oh, let me tell you a little bit about bear baiting. (laughs) So um, gambling was a thing, you know, people like to gamble. That's where they would go for gambling and other nefarious things. Southwark was like where they dumped all of the minorly legal or super illegal stuff. And also where they put like the tanning factories and well, not factories, but like tanning. Yeah. The gross stuff. Not like spray tan factories. No, no. Like uh, your your leather. (laughs) Yes. Your leather treatment. Yes. (laughs) So bear baiting was they would put a bear chained up in a ring with a dog and then they would fight and then you bet on either the dog or the bear to win yeah did the, did the bear always win the bear won a lot Ugh. um and sometimes it was more than one dog it, there was like Aww. modifications um yeah british people were not they weren't a gentle group we really had tough. misinformation condemn those who <laughs> want to chain up bears and have them fight dogs? Absolutely, we we're taking a it. hard stance on that. Hard stance on that. That, and you know what? We may lose listeners over that, but that's okay with us. Bear baiting. Who does that anymore? Mm. I don't know anybody that does it anymore. So, 
In the poorer parts of the city, hygiene was impossible to maintain in the overcrowded tenements and garrets. There was no sanitation, and open drains flowed along the center of winding streets. The cobbles were slippery with animal dung, rubbish, (laughs) and the slops thrown out of the houses, muddy and buzzing with flies in summer and awash with sewage in winter. The city corporation employed what was known as rakers to remove the worst of the filth, and it was transported to mounds outside the walls where it accumulated and continued to decompose. The stench was overwhelming, and people walked around with handkerchiefs or nosegays pressed against their nostrils. So a nosegay is a small bunch of either flowers or mm-hmm. herbs or both. And you would carry it, women would carry it like in their bra mm-hmm. or, you know, in their dress. Yeah. And men would keep it in their pockets and you would just like press it against your nose because otherwise you would probably pass out from the smell because it was so disgusting. <sighs> so <laughs> I know some of the city's necessities such as coal uh, arrived by barge, but most came by road. Carts, carriages, horses, and pedestrians were crowded together and the gateways in the walls formed bottlenecks through which it was difficult to progress. Mm. The 19 arch London bridge was even more congested because people, I didn't know if you knew this, lived, lived there on it. Yeah. The better off used uh, hackney carriages and sedan chairs to get to their destination without getting filthy, but the poor walked and might be splashed by the wheeled, wheeled vehicles and drenched by slops being thrown out and water falling from the overhanging roofs. Why Another, did anybody live there? I know. Another hazard was the choking black smoke belching forth from <laughs> factories, which made soap, which was made from fat, uh, yeah. um, from breweries and iron smelters, and from about 1,500 houses burning coal. Yeah. So outside the city walls, suburbs had sprung up providing homes for the craftsmen and tradespeople who flocked to the already overcrowded city. These were shanty towns with wooden shacks and no sanitation. Mm. The government had tried to control this development but had failed, and over a quarter of a million people lived there. Um, other immigrants had taken over fine townhouses vacated by royalists who had fled the country during the Commonwealth, <laughs> converting them into tenements with different families in every room. These oh. properties were soon vandalized and became rat-infested infle- slums. <sighs> so, at the time... The bubonic plague was a much feared disease, but its cause was not understood. And some people blamed uh, emanations from the earth, which were known as pestilential effluviums. Great Um, great term. Great name for a band. Right? We're the pestilential effluviums. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) And it's just like Wisconsin. Gentle folk rock. Um, They also blamed unusual weather, sickness in livestock, abnormal behaviors of animals, or an increase in the number of moles, frogs, mice, or flies. Mm, Too many moles this year. Yeah, that's it. We're getting it. Uh, It was not until 1894 that the identification by Alexander Yersin of its causal agent, again, Yersina pestis, was made and the transmission of the bacterium by rat fleas became known. Although the Great Plague in London had long been believed to be the bubonic plague, this was only definitively confirmed by DNA analysis in 2016. What? So it was just common knowledge, like it's probably the bubonic plague, but it wasn't like proven until last year or the year before last. Um, So... In order to judge the severity of an epidemic, so you first have to realize how big the population was in okay. which it occurred. So there was no official census of the population um, in London, uh, but the best contemporary account comes from the work of a man named John Grount. 
G-R-A-U-N-T. Uh, he was one of the earliest fellows of the Royal Society and one of the first demographers. He brought a scientific approach to the collection of statistics. Mm. So in 1662, he estimated that uh, 384,000 people lived in the city of London, wow. Westminster, and the out parishes. Mm-hmm. So the entire region. Um, and this was based on figures in the bills of mortality published each week in the capital. <laughs> so the bills of mortality are like, these are the people who, who died. died. This, this is week. how they died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in 1665, he revised his estimate to not above 460,000. Uh, other contemporaries put the figure higher. The French ambassador at the time suggested 600,000, but with no mathematical basis to support their estimates. There were a lot of poor wow. people who weren't mm-hmm. counted, people who like had snuck into yeah. the city, people who were living on the outskirts. You may like, have whatever. like 14 children in one room. Exactly. And who's who knows? No one knows. Ugh. So there was no duty to report a death to anyone in authority at the time. Mm -hmm. So instead, each parish appointed two or more searchers of the dead whose duty was to inspect a corpse and determine the cause of death so that they could record that on the bills of mortality. (sighs) So a searcher was entitled to charge a small fee from relatives uh, for each death they reported. So habitually, the parish would appoint someone to the post who would otherwise be destitute and would be receiving support from the parish poor rate. Mm. So typically, um, this meant searchers would be old women who were illiterate, um, might know little about identifying diseases, and who would be open to dishonesty. So searchers would typically learn about a death either from the local sexton who had been asked to dig a grave or from the tolling of a church bell. Very ominous. Uh, anyone who did not report a death to their local church, such as Quakers or Anabaptists or other non-Anglican Christians or Jews, frequently did not get included in the official records oh, because geez. they didn't report them. Yeah. Um, searchers during the time of plague were required to live apart from the community and stay indoors except when performing their duties for fear of spreading the diseases. Outside, they should avoid other people and always carry a white stick to warn of their occupation. Ooh. Searchers reported to the parish clerk, and the reported figures were used to compile the bills of mortality. Um and the system of searchers to report causes of death continued until 1836, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. So no one wanted to be known as having a death by plague in their household, right? Like then you would be anathema. Like no one would want to be anywhere near you. So parish clerks also connived in covering up cases of plague in their official returns because they didn't want to be the parish, which is like a region uh that a neighborhood that had a bunch of plague people. So they were like, all right, just, because you want people to visit your shops and yeah exactly you want to like be able to like have a livelihood Mm -hmm. so um as the plague spread a system of quarantine was introduced whereby any house where someone had died from plague would be locked up and no one was allowed to enter or leave for 40 days uh this is that where quarantine comes from um the word i don't know but i will look it up and i will let you know quarant is 40 40 oh that's very interesting okay then yes i'm gonna say yes good job julia (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so this frequently led to the death of the other inhabitants of the home by neglect, if not from plague and provided ample incentive not to report the disease. Mm. So a plague house was marked with a red cross in the door with the words, Lord have mercy upon us. And a watchman stood guard outside. It's a very metal, this whole plague thing. Oh. Um, so it was, it was known. So people were dying of the plague and had been for like a while, Yeah, but it wasn't, an outbreak you know what okay. i mean um it was still sufficiently uncommon that medical practitioners might have had no personal experience with of seeing the disease okay and medical training varied from those um who had attended the college of physicians to apothecaries who also acted as modern doctors mm. to simple charlatans Ugh. 
So Those dang charlatans. I know, right? Um, other de- diseases abounded, such as an outbreak of smallpox the year before, and these uncertainties all added to difficulties identifying the true start of the epidemic. So um, contemporary accounts suggest cases of plague occurred through the winter of 1664 through 1665, some of which were fatal, but a number of which did not display the virulence of the later epidemic. You so, think like in the wintertime, it might not be as bad because you would think the fleas would freeze. Exactly. Well, apparently that winter was especially cold. Okay. Um, and the ground was completely frozen from December through March. Oh. So, and river traffic on the Thames was tw- twice blocked by ice. And so they think that because it was such a cold winter, it actually oh. like prevented the plague from starting that winter. Okay. Because it was so cold. But the following summer was super, super hot. So that also made it like that combination made it just ramp up. Mm. So um, they thought that the they think that the bubonic plague in England um, was spread from the Netherlands because uh, the disease there had been occurring intermittently since 1599. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, it's unclear exactly where the disease first struck, but the initial contagion may have arrived with Dutch trading ships carrying bales of cotton from Amsterdam, Aww. which was ravaged by the disease in 1663 and 1664 with a mortality given of 50,000. So here we go. <gasps> the plague begins. The plague. So there had only been three official cases in April of that year, 1665, <laughs> um, which level of plague in early years had not, been induced to any official response so it was just like okay these people are sick we're not going to do anything about it because it's not really bad so um then it starts in april and people start more and more people start getting sick so the privy council which was the local government acted to introduce household quarantine so uh, justices of the peace in middlesex were instructed to investigate any suspected cases and to shut up the house if it was confirmed so shortly after, a similar order was issued by the King's Bench to the city in Liberty. So the whole area was issued this quarantine mm. law. So a riot broke out in St. Giles when the first house was sealed up. The crowd <gasps> broke down the door and released the inhabitants. Rioters caught were punished severely. Instructions were given to build pest houses, which were essentially isolation hospitals built away from other people where the sick could be cared for or stay until they died. This official activity suggests that despite the few recorded cases, the government was already aware that this was a serious outbreak of plague. With the arrival of warmer weather, it started to get really warm. The disease began to take a firmer hold. In the week of May 2nd through the 9th, there were three recorded deaths in the parish of St. Giles. In the city, the Lord Mayor issued a proclamation that all households must diligently clean the streets outside their property, which was a householder's responsibility, not a state one. So they're starting to realize that... They're like how germs yeah happen. let's clean up they they didn't really know about germs but they there were all sorts of different theories as to what was causing it mm-hmm. and I'll I'll talk about that in a, okay. in a second Sorry. but it was no no you're fine but it was just like we're gonna do everything that we possibly can so it doesn't spread kind okay. of thing um so matters just became worse it just got worse from there. Um, as cases in St. Giles began to rise, an attempt was made to quarantine the area and constables were instructed to inspect anyone wishing to travel in and out of that particular parish. So people began to be, oh, I don't know, alarmed. So (laughs) Samuel Pepys, I don't know if you've heard of Samuel Pepys, the great diarist. Mm -hmm, Pepys. He was an early modern um, diarist. He kept a very detailed diary of which his... Uh, he wrote in English, obviously, but when he wanted to talk about something like 
some gross stuff that he did with his <laughs> with his maidservant. <laughs> um, he would write in French so that his <laughs> wife wouldn't know. Um, and his French was actually like not great either. <laughs> uh, so that is always kind of a funny thing about Samuel Pepys. But he is like the primary one of the primary sources of this time mm-hmm. period because he literally wrote everything down. Yeah. Not just like uh, this is what I had for breakfast, but also this is what's going on in London right yeah. now. So he also had an important position at the Admiralty. Uh, so he stayed in London and provided a contemporary account of the plague. And on April 30th, he wrote, Great fears of the sickness here in the city is being said that two or three houses are already shut up. God preserve us all. <gasps> so another source of information at the on the time is a fictional account, actually, mm-hmm. which I read for my early modern London class. It's called A Journal of a Plague Year. I still have the book in my house. <laughs> um, it was written by Daniel Defoe, and it was published in 1722. Mm, he yes. had been only six when the plague struck, but he made use of his family's recollections. His uncle was a saddler in East London, and his father was a butcher in Cripplegate. And he also um, drew from interviews with survivors and site of official records yeah, uh, as were available. So he did a well-researched account of Journal of a Plague mm-hmm. Year. So by July 1665, the plague was rampant in the city of London. King Charles II of England, his family, and his court left the city for Salisbury moving on to Oxford in September when some cases of plague occurred in Salisbury. Some aldermen and the Lord Mayor of London decided to stay, but businesses were closed when merchants and professionals fled. Uh, Daniel Defoe wrote in a journal of a plague year, nothing was to be seen but wagons and carts with goods, women, servants, children, coaches filled with people of the better sort and horsemen attending them all hurrying away. As the plague raged through the summer, only a small number of clergymen, physicians, and apothecaries remained to cope with an increasingly large number of victims. Mm. Edward Coates, who was the author of London's dreadful visitation, expressed the hope that, quote, neither the physicians of our souls or bodies may hereafter in such great numbers forsake us. It was dark. So um, poorer people were also alarmed by the Mm. contagion and some left the city, but it was not easy for them to abandon their accommodation and livelihoods for an uncertain future elsewhere. They didn't have any money or resources. Um, And before exiting through the city gates, they were required to possess a certificate of good health signed by the Lord Mayor. And these became increasingly difficult to obtain. You had to prove that that you didn't have the plague Mm -hmm. and you weren't carrying it farther into England. So as time went by and the numbers of plague victims rose, people living in the villages outside London began to resent this exodus and were no longer prepared to accept townsfolk from London with or without a certificate. So the refugees were turned back and were not allowed to pass through towns and had to travel across country and were forced to live rough on what they could steal or scavenge from the fields. Many died in wretched circumstances of starvation and thirst in the hot summer that was to follow. So not only were these people dying of plague, but they were dying just like in random fields throughout England because no one would accept them because they were coming from London. It's terrible. So in the last week of July, the London Bill of Mortality showed 3,014 deaths, of which 2,020 had died from the plague. Oof. As the number of victims affected mounted up, burial grounds had become overfull and pits were dug to accommodate the dead. Drivers of dead carts traveled the streets calling, bring out your dead, and carted away piles of bodies. The authorities became concerned that the number of deaths might cause public alarm and ordered that body removal and internment should only take place at night. As time went on, there were too many victims and too few drivers to remove the bodies, which had begun to become stacked up against the walls of houses. 
So daytime collection was resumed and the plague pits became mounds of decomposing corpses. In the parish of Aldergate, a great hole was dug near the churchyard, 50 feet long and 20 feet wide. Digging was continued by laborers at one end while the dead carts tipped in courses at the other. Oh. When there was no room for further extension, it was dug deeper until groundwater was reached at 20 feet. Oh my gosh. When finally covered with earth, it housed 1,114 corpses. So plague doctors traverse the streets diagnosing victims, although many of them had no formal medical training. So the plague mm-hmm. doctor, you know, the... Um, they're the ones with the big... The big white the big cone. Yeah, they have like the, the bird beak thing. And they, uh, like, it was a mask that would cover their face. And while it looked really... Um, like a weird bird. Yes, like a weird bird. And they would wear like heavy cloaks and a mask. And the bird beak was not just to seem creepy. Actually, they put uh, herbs and stuff oh, at the yeah. end. so yeah, kind of like a gas mask. Exactly, it was kind of like a gas mask so that they could like breathe and walk amongst the dead and de- decomposing without, you know, passing out <laughs> or becoming <laughs> sick. <laughs> just terrible. So people are dying, people are groaning in the streets, there's pestilence, there's death, and there's these black cloaked Sounds birds. Sounds pretty like end of days. Yeah, right? So, you know, you... you I don't blame the people of London for being totally friggity freaked out. Yeah. So um, several public health efforts were attempted during this time. Physicians were hired by city officials and burial details were carefully organized, but panic spread through the city and out of fear of contagion, people were hastily buried in overcrowded pits. This means of transmission of the disease was not known, but thinking they might be linked to the animals, the city corporation ordered a cull of dogs and cats. Uh, This decision may have affected the length of the epidemic since those animals could have helped keep in check the rat population carrying the fleas. Yeah, it's terrible. So they thought bad air was involved in the transmission. So the authorities ordered giant bonfires to be burned in the streets and house fires to be kept burning night and day in hopes that the air would be cleansed. Uh, tobacco was thought to be a prophylactic, and it was later said that no London tobacconist had died from the plague during the epidemic. Uh, so, I mean, who knows if that's true weird. or not, but. So. Maybe fleas don't like. Maybe they don't like tobacco. Smoke. There you go. Uh, trade and business completely dried up, and the streets were empty of people except for the dead carts and the desperate dying victims as witnessed and recorded by Samuel Pepys in his diary. He said, Lord, how empty the streets are and how melancholy. So many poor sick people in the streets full of sores. In Westminster, there is never a physician and but one apothecary left, all being dead. People didn't starve partially because uh, they they actually, the one thing that they did have was they had food sources, which is great, even though everyone's dying of the plague. Uh, one food source was the villages around London, which denied of their usual sales in the capital. Uh, they left vegetables in specified market areas, negotiated their sale by shouting, and collected their payment after the money had been left submerged in a bucket of water to disinfect the coins. Yeah. Wow. So records state that plague deaths in London and suburbs crept up over the summer from 2,000 people per week to over 7,000 per week in September. These figures are likely to be a considerable underestimate. Many of the sextons and parish clerks who kept the records themselves died, and Quakers refused to cooperate, and many of the poor were just dumped into mass graves unrecorded. It is not clear how many people caught the disease and made a recovery because only deaths were recorded, and many records were destroyed in the Great Fire of London the following year. Right. Um, In the few districts where intact records remain, plague deaths varied between 30% and over 50% of the total population. 
So um, although it was concentrated in London, the outbreak affected other areas of the country as well. Perhaps the most famous example was the village of Iam in Derbyshire. Uh, the plague allegedly arrived with a merchant carrying a parcel of cloth sent from London. And although this is a disputed point, the villagers imposed a quarantine on themselves to stop the further spread of the disease. And this prevented the disease from moving into surrounding areas. But the cost to the village was the death of around 80% of its inhabitants over a period of 14 months. So they saw everybody getting sick around them, but they they were like, well, we don't want to get other people sick. So we got (sighs) to stick around. Ugh, I know. It's awful. So finally, by late autumn, the death toll in London and the suburbs began to slow until in February 1666, it was considered safe enough for the king and his entourage to come back into the city. With the return of the monarch, others began to return. Trade recommenced and businesses and workshops opened up. Plague cases continued to occur sporadically at a modest rate until the summer of 1666. On the 2nd and 3rd of September that year, the Great Fire of London destroyed much of the city of London, and people believe that the fire put an end to the epidemic. Uh, However, it is now thought that the plague had largely subsided before the fire took place. So a lot of people think that the Great Fire of London like drew away all the rats and that kind of thing. But it's probably not true, although (laughs) it was an interesting coincidence. Um. Most of the later cases of plague were found in the suburbs, and it was the city of London itself that was destroyed by the fire. So uh, so according to the bills of mortality, there were in total 68,596 deaths in London from the plague in 1665 alone. Wow. Uh, many estimate that the true number of mortalities was probably twice that figure. <sighs> um, Dr. Thomas Gumbel, chaplain of the Duke of Albemarle, both of whom had stayed in London for the whole of the epidemic, estimated that the total death count for the country from plague during 1665 and 1666 was about 200,000. Jeez, oh man. Yeah. So the Great Plague was the last major outbreak of bubonic plague in Great Britain. Uh, The last recorded death from from plague came in 1679. um, And it was removed as a specific category in the Bills of Mortality after 1703. So the population of England in 1650 was approximately 5.25 million which declined to about 4.9 million in 1680, recovering to just over 5 million by 1700. So there were no contemporary consensus of London populations, but available records suggest that the population returned to its previous level within a couple of years. So it bou- they bounced uh-huh. back pretty quickly. Um, plague pits have been archaeologically excavated during mm. underground construction work. Between 2011 and 2015, some 3,500 burials from the new churchyard or Bethlehem Burial Ground, were discovered during the construction of the Crossrail Railway at Liverpool Street. Wow. So uh, Yersinia pestis DNA was found in the teeth of individuals found buried in the pits at the site, confirming that they had died of bubonic plague. So the plague actually is still around. Uh Like you can, like it's not a, it has not been become extinct. Um, but it usually occurs most often in third world countries with poor like yeah. public hygiene and public health. According to my favorite episode of Seinfeld, India still has the plague. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Unfortunately. So um, I, I was so inspired mm. that I decided to do my quiz on infectious diseases. Ooh, nice. Lay it on me. I, uh, here it comes. So. Question number one. This infectious disease has a strange name, originally used to distinguish it from syphilis, but it's also known as the speckled monster and the red plague. 
What is this spotty disease? Question number two. The 1995 movie Outbreak starring Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo also starred a fictional epidemic of a fictional fever disease called Motaba. What real-life disease was the basis for Motaba? Question number three. Killing approximately two million people per year, this ancient disease was sometimes known as consumption because of the drastic weight loss that presented as a symptom. What is this disease? Question number four. How many hepatitis viruses are there? And can you name them? Question number five. We all got the MMR vaccine as children, but what does MMR stand for? Question number six. Related question. What's rubella? Question number seven. Typhoid Mary was the first person in the U.S. identified as an asymptomatic carrier of the typhoid pathogen. What was her real full name? Question number eight. It seems every summer there's a new disease to worry about. Remember swine flu, a.k.a. the H1N1 virus that made everyone so crazy that there were swine flu Halloween costumes that October? What year did swine flu take over the media? Question number nine. True or false? Brain fever, a common cause of death of sensitive women in Victorian novels, is a real thing. And finally, question number 10. How many U.S. presidents died of infectious diseases, and can you name them? We'll give you a minute to think, and we'll be back with answers. Just so you know, I'm also going to be giving the symptoms of all these diseases. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) So, okay. Question number one, this infectious disease has a strange name originally used to distinguish it from syphilis, but it's also known as the speckled monster and the red plague. What is the spotty disease? I don't know. It is smallpox. So um, syphilis was known as the great pox, and it was coined in Britain in the 15th century. Um, So... Syphilis was oh, the great pox. Great smallpox pox was the smallpox. Small mm. um, the initial symptoms of smallpox include fever and vomiting. This is then followed by formation of sores in the mouth and a skin rash. Over a number of days, the skin rash turns into the characteristic fluid-filled bumps with a dent in the center. Mm. Question number two. The 1995 movie Outbreak starring Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo also starred a fictional epidemic of a fictional fever disease called Motaba. 
What real life disease was the basis for Motaba? Ebola. It is Ebola. Signs and symptoms typically start between two days and three weeks after contracting the virus with a fever, sore throat, muscular pain, and headaches. Then vomiting, diarrhea, and rash usually follow along with decreased function of the liver and kidneys. At this time, some people begin to bleed both internally and externally. Mm. Lauren has such a peppy look on her face. (laughs) It's good. Our crack reporter here. Question number three, killing approximately 2 million people per year. This ancient disease was sometimes known as consumption because of the drastic weight loss that presented as a symptom. What is this disease? Tuberculosis. It is tuberculosis. The classic symptoms of active TB are a chronic cough with blood-containing sputum, fever, Mm -hmm. night sweats, and the aforementioned weight loss. In fact, I have a personal connection to tuberculosis. Do you? I do. So my mother is a nurse. She's been a nurse for nigh 40 years. And when she was a nurse's aide when she was young, um, they had brought a guy in. And they were like, uh, Nance, take this guy up to, you know, ward four or whatever. Yeah. So she puts him into the, into the, um, elevator and they're chatting and he's coughing and whatever. And she's just like, yeah, I talk to chat, chat, chat. So the doors open ding. And on the uh-huh. other side are all the doctors and nurses in full, like, like hazard gear. <gasps> and she was like, what the hell is going on? And they were like, why are you covered? Yeah. And she was like, what, what's going on? And they were like, he has tuberculosis. <gasps> So she was exposed to tuberculosis and she had to like get tested yeah. and everything. And in fact, now she has what's known as latent tuberculosis. So it like shows up on tests in her blood. Yes. Yeah, so it always gives a false positive that she has tuberculosis, although she's never exhibited any signs or symptoms. Ugh. Yeah, it was crazy. I, I have, I, it's a common story from mom because wow. she was real mad. She was uh, only like yeah. 23 at the time. Yeah. It was crazy. Oh, yeah, man. it's no good. So, question number four. How many hepatitis viruses are there, and can you name them? Are there three? Are they A, B, and C? Uh, are there four? <laughs> are they A, B, C, and D? I don't know. There Why are, don't you tell me what the answer is? There are five. Five. It's A, B, C, D, and E. All right. Um, they are all liver diseases causing inflammation of the tissue. They're just caused. There's a basic different hepatitis strains. virus, mm-hmm. and they're different strains. Um, when symptoms occur, they typically last eight weeks and may include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, jaundice, fever, and abdominal pain. Keep an eye out for is that. Is like A the worst or is it like I think they don't just, really... I think some are like they roll up on your DNA and then you have that, like you always have it. And then there's some that you are pretty minor and mm. you just need like a round of like uh, treatment and that kind of okay. thing. So I think they're in varying degrees I know degrees a lot of people of, would... Well, not all, I, I don't know a lot of people. But sure. I mean like... You would hear people sharing needles and they would transfer that that way. And transfer hepatitis, exactly. Um, So question number five, we all got the MMR vaccine as children, but what does MMR stand for? Measles, mumps, rubella. Good job. Number six, related question, what's rubella? German measles. Very good. It's also known as a three-day measles. Oh, Um, that doesn't sound so bad. No, it really doesn't. Um, I don't know why we got vaccinated then. If we could just have three (laughs) days of measles. I'm sure it kills kids or something. Oh. Um, it is an infection caused by the rubella virus. Mm. Um, symptoms include an itchy rash, swollen lymph nodes, fever, sore throat, and joint pain in adults. There's also um, a childhood rash called roseola, um, and that is caused by the uh, herpes virus. And um, I have a distinct memory of as a child, we had a family friend who had a dachshund whose name was Rosie and she was an asshole. And my mom called her Rosiola because uh, she was, uh, she was so annoying that she was, she was like a rash. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, question number seven, typhoid Mary was the first person in the U.S. identified as an asymptomatic carrier of the typhoid pathogen. What was her real full name? Her name was something super Irish. Yes. But I don't care. Oh, okay. Her name was Mary Mallon. Oh. Um, she was presumed to have infected 51 people, three of whom died over the course of her career as a cook. She was twice forcibly isolated by public health authorities and died after a total of nearly three decades in isolation from 1915 mm-hmm. to 1938. Um, she, like, she was an asymptomatic carrier, so she, when she handled food for people, that would get them sick. And when they figured out it was her, she was like, no, it's not me. And they were yeah. like, no, you're getting quarantined. So yeah. she did, and then... They let her out finally. Mm-hmm. And then she would go get another job. Yeah, she would just things. go get cooking. It's like you're making people sick and killing people. And Ugh. then they like stuck her on one of those islands in the middle of they the did. river in New York City. And then there she stayed. She she even like granted interviews and things mm-hmm. too. So um, symptoms of typhoid include fever, weakness, abdominal pain, constipation, confusion, and headaches. Some people exhibit a rose-colored rash. Oh. There you go. So question number eight. It seems every summer there's a new disease to worry about. Remember swine flu, a.k.a. the H1N1 virus that made everyone so crazy that there were swine flu Halloween costumes that October? What year did swine flu take over the media? 2010. It was tw- 2009. Okay. Well, I Close got enough. swine flu in 2010. Oh. <laughs> you weren't even like, you weren't even trendy. You got I it the know, year after when it wasn't even sucks. hot anymore. Oh, man. I'm sorry. It was, it was real bad. I got real sick at the um, specific. National Museum of American History. I was what a terrible looking place at the to... Abraham Lincoln exhibit, and then, and then I down you went. Down I went. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, it wasn't actually a true swine flu, unfortunately. Mm. Um, in that that particular tra- strain wasn't endemic to pigs in pigs to humans. Like it wasn't passed from pigs to humans. It was like a completely different strain. Um, symptoms, as you may remember, mm. include fever, lethargy, sneezing, <sighs> coughing, difficulty breathing, and decreased appetite. And all and and all and all the other flu all the other, things. Yeah, I was tired for like two weeks ahead of it. Like I was you falling asleep at work. Oh my god! And, but I was like, didn't have any other. Like I wasn't like puking or anything, yeah. and I wasn't like. I was just like I was just so tired. Oh my god! And then my mom came to visit, and she was. Um, we were going to go see Jen Lancaster, one of our favorite authors, oh, yeah, um, do a book signing at the Barnes and Noble in DC. And we tr- took the train into DC that day, and like we're at the museums and stuff. And it was no bueno. No. But I was like, well, we're already all the way in the city. <laughs> we might as well go. So I just remember sitting there with my bottle of apple juice, oh. just sitting on the floor of the Barnes and Noble, praying for sweet death, <laughs> while my mother listened to <laughs> Jen Lancaster read a chapter of her book out loud and then go get it signed. And you know what? Your mother is a medical professional. Yeah. But you know what? I, your mom and my mom, both being medical professionals are like, suck it up. They're like, Ugh, yeah. look at you. I remember my dad had pneumonia one year when we were kids and we went to get a Christmas tree, like cut down a Christmas tree. And he had to keep stopping and sitting down because he was so out of breath. And we didn't know he had pneumonia at the time. Like yeah. he was diagnosed afterwards. My mom kept like, she was so mad at him. She was like, uh-huh. get up, quit being a baby. You yep. just have a cold. Yeah. And then later found out he had pneumonia in like both lungs and yeah. was like close to death. So yeah, don't have a, a nurse as a mother because <laughs> they do not care about your life. They do not. They don't care. Um, Shout out to medical professionals yeah. in our life. <laughs> Shout out to medical professionals. You're doing the Lord's work. Um, 
Okay, question number nine, true or false brain fever, a common cause of death of sensitive women in Victorian novels is a real thing. How about false? It is true. True. Um, it was, it was in t- like, there's no such thing that's called brain fever, uh-huh. but it was probably encephalitis, oh. which is an acute infection of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, also, scarlet fever or meningitis was possible, but it was probably mm-hmm. encephalitis. Symptoms may include mm. headache, fever, confusion, a stiff neck, and vomiting. Complications may include seizures, hallucinations, trouble speaking, memory problems, and problems with hearing. So keep an eye out. No. <laughs> check Jeez, yourself every check, morning check. uh question number 10 how many u.s presidents julia died of infectious diseases and can you name them you're That's looking a, at me like well, i have no- like like the cause of death of every president in office or do you mean like while they were in office like every president who was ever president yes every president who was I ever president right now oh, well <laughs> well i thought you were good about the presidents but whatever no i'm being i'm being facetious you know more about the presidents than i do um so it was six people george washington died of pneumonia uh andrew jackson died of consumption probably Mm. tuberculosis uh william harrison died of pneumonia james polk died of cholera Mm. benjamin harrison died of pneumonia and ronald reagan died of pneumonia so there you go. That's my quiz on infectious diseases. Wow. So I hope everyone listening is feeling sh- like healthy and strong. Yeah. You can take a... Go take you your take airborne and yeah. your... Take some of that vitamin D. Am I right? You got to get that D. No, it's good. It's good for you. I take vitamin D every night. <laughs> it's true. No, I literally take vitamin D every night. And that's why I'm so healthy. <laughs> If only more people got vitamin D yeah. every night. If only. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, you, If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can uh, email us, misinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, at misinfopod on Twitter. Um, uh, what else? We have, a, we have a Facebook page, uh, Misinformation, a trivia podcast. Look for our pink logo. Um, and our library background. Uh, and then what else? What else do we have? A uh, website. Oh, we have a website. Triple dub dot dot com. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and whatever podcast app you prefer using our RSS feed. An RRS feed. Yeah. RRS. RSS feed. Yes. Um, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe. We would so appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I hope you enjoyed our my very horrifying check yourself for fleas yes always check for fleas check for lumps um you know because of lymph nodes yeah um and check your uh, boobons yeah check all your boobons <laughs> i think we just coined a term um so uh thanks for listening guys yeah. and we'll catch you next time all right bye, bye.